All right, good morning, church. Good morning, everyone. Aloha to you. If you can grab your Bibles and open them up to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, we continue our way through this wonderful book that we started, uh, I don't know what is this now, a month ago or so. Uh, today, we're going to get into the second letter to the churches, and uh, we're going to be talking about Smyrna, the languishing church, that's what I call it, the languishing church, and uh, uh, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for your word. We ask you, bless your word today, God. Bless this letter that we read. May it speak to our hearts, Lord. And we thank you for this moment, this time we have with you, Lord. Just just a little time out of the whole week, God. We are so grateful that we can spend it with you in worship and now in your word. So we ask for your anointing and your touch by your spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Can you guess who this is? is in this picture. Where's that picture? Is it coming? No picture? Oh, what happened to the picture? All right. Well, I was going to show you two pictures. There's a person without a beard and then a person with a beard. And I was going to have you guess what? Oh, beard and no beard? Okay, yeah. Zach or me? That kind of thing. But actually, it's an interesting story that... um, Abraham Lincoln, that's who it is, he actually was not into beards. And we're so used to seeing Abraham Lincoln with beards. And here's the story. In 1861, Abraham Lincoln was the Republican candidate for the president. And at that time, he was actually clean-shaven. He didn't have grow a beard. He wasn't even into beards. Until this one letter written by 11-year-old Grace Bedell changed it all. The little girl wrote Lincoln and told him that his face was, quote, so thin and that he should grow a beard for it would benefit him because, quote, all the ladies like whiskers. How do you like that? Well, I think it helped his campaign, but at first Lincoln did not agree, but later he grew a beard, and as someone said, I quote, perhaps the most famous one in American history, right? For Abraham Lincoln would not be Abraham Lincoln without his beard. Well, on his way to his inauguration in 1861, Lincoln stopped at Grace Bedell's home and showed how the words in her letter changed his whole look. And I like that story. I thought that was really interesting. Imagine today, though. Imagine getting a letter from Jesus Christ. I think it would change your whole outlook on things in your life. Well, today we come to the second of the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. And here Jesus sends this letter with words to change their outlook Because these believers are suffering under great persecution. So Jesus writes to the church of Smyrna, which I call the languishing church. And Jesus writes, strengthening words for suffering saints. And that's the title of our message this morning. Strengthening words for suffering saints. We're going to be studying Revelation chapter 2 from verse 8 through 11 this morning. Verse 8 through 11, we're taking the next letter. And we see three things here this morning. Number one, take care, Jesus is telling them. Number two, take comfort. And number three, take courage. So that's our outline for this letter and our title once again, Strengthening Words for Suffering Saints. Let's take a look at number one in our outline now. Take care. Take care. Here we're going to just take a look at verse 8. Verse 8 where Jesus says, take care. And, and let's read this. Let's look at this together. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So we're going to stop there. We begin here once again in this letter as we did last week with Jesus asking John to write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. If you remember the word angel, right? We understood it back in chapter, end of chapter 1, and we looked at it uh, last week too in our first letter, that the angel really speaks of, I believe, the pastor or the leader of that church. So this is to that pastor to read to the congregation in his church. And the church is going to the church in Smyrna as he writes here. Now, 
I don't know if we have the map. Do we have the map, Jared, or no? Oh, we get the map. We got that map. Remember that map that we put up last week. In, on this map, you can see the churches, the seven churches these letters are going out to. The first church was Smyrna, I mean Ephesus last week. We saw that in our map last week. And you can see Patmos there too, that the little island that traveled this letter or this book from Patmos to Ephesus, right? And now the next church you can see is Smyrna. It's going to, the letter, this book is going to go all around in a circle, end up in Laodicea, which is the last letter. So we're here, I just want to give you a visual with the second letter and the second church that Jesus is writing to, and that is Smyrna. Now, if you look on the map, Smyrna is, well, it's okay. <laughs> Smyrna is also on the coast of the Aegean Sea, like Ephesus. Smyrna, back then, was this large and wealthy city. It is actually today called Izmir, in the country of Turkey. And it's, it's one of the oldest cities in the, the world, actually. No one knows when it began. But Smyrna is right there on the coast also. And so it became wealthy. It's a, it has a seaport. It had a major seaport. had a big library, stadium. It was known for the largest public theater in that area. And also Smyrna is famous for what they call the Golden Street or the Street of Gold. And actually it was this long street made of gold and the street was lined with temples to the Greek gods and at the end of the street was the grand temple to Zeus so that's Smyrna the city basically where this church was planted now we don't know when it was planted perhaps Paul maybe planted it or some guys from Ephesus went up to Smyrna and planted a church there and witnessed Jesus Christ but it's little known. We don't know too much even about this church in Smyrna other than what we see in this letter here. So this is to the pastor or this church in this city of Smyrna. Now, Jesus then comes in with this description of himself, just like he did in the uh, letter to Ephesus we saw last week. And here he says the words of the first and the last who died and came to life in verse 8. So these are the exact same words, remember, that we saw back up in verse 17 and 18 in chapter 1. Remember, you could look there, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, verse 17, as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am what? The first and the last. And you remember we learned that that meant, that spoke of his eternal, uh, eternal character. And then he said, the living one, I died in verse 18, and behold, I am alive forevermore. So Jesus comes in with this same description of how he died, how he died for our sins, and then he rose again from the dead, his resurrection. So as he did, with, as he did and is going to do with most of the letters here, he's going to take a particular description of himself to encourage a particular church. And really, that's the idea we see here. So Smyrna right now is going to a very hard time. We're going to talk about that more next. So Jesus wants the church to focus now on this attributes to encourage him. That's why he writes in this way. So he's saying, look, I'm the first and the last. And what does he saying? First of all, he is the eternal God. Right? He's the eternal God. He has the authority over life and death. He, he holds all that authority. He's above and beyond situations in life and what's going on in life on this earth. Because he's, he's the eternal God here. He's also the resurrected one. Right, He died and he rose again from the dead. He lives. He says he died and came to life. So he's the re resurrected one where he died for our sins and he conquered sin and death. And so no matter what happens to this church, you know what? Jesus is above and beyond all of that. So he he's coming to them in this understanding, showing himself in this way as the eternal God, the conquering God, the resurrected one. And I want to add one more thing here. As Jesus comes to know, as he's speaking in this manner like he died and he suffered and he resurrected, he totally understands with compassion what these guys are going through. He, he totally knows. I mean, I've been through. I died. 
You guys know I suffered and all of all these things that I went through. He went through these same hard things that this church is going through. Even worse when he died on the cross. So he totally understands with compassion. So first of all, in this very first verse, I want you to see this. The believers are to take care now to notice how Jesus presents himself for it's just what they need to carry on. Do you see that? As Jesus reveals himself in this particular way to this particular church, these believers are to take care, our heading, to really notice how Jesus presents himself, for that's what they need. That's just what they need to carry on, to keep going in these hard and difficult times. You know, the other day I found great comfort in prayer, thinking how Jesus is my Jehovah Shama. Do you remember what that is? Jehovah Shama. The Lord is ever present. It's one of the seven names we study. Remember back last November, I did a whole series between First and Second Thessalonians. We did a whole series on the seven names of God. If you missed it, you can go back on our YouTube channel, catch up, or if you want to remember again. And that was one of the names when we went over, Jehovah Shammah. And, I, and it really helped me. Like It, it helped me to just... Focus in on that, that Jesus is my Jehovah Shammah, the ever-present God. And it was just encouraging me. And this is Jesus. Jesus is coming with this description of himself, the first and the last, the one who died and came to life, that, look, you need to focus on this. You need to put your mind, take care to notice this. And then this is just what you need to carry on. Perhaps this morning you're going through some things and, I think it's important that you put your focus on one of the attributes of God to help you, to encourage you. Maybe you're struggling in need of healing. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's, it's a healing of this, the soul or the spirit of, of you inside. No matter what that healing, you know what? Go to your Jehovah Rapha. You remember that? The Lord our God is our healer. Remember Rapha means healer. Jehovah Rapha. Are you struggling maybe in, in need of provision or, or help or, you know, you're, you're, you're struggling right now, material needs or even maybe you need strength, right? Go to, to your, go to your, remember Jehovah what? Jireh, right? Our provider, the Lord, our provider. Maybe you're struggling with habitual sin in the flesh. You've been battling more than ever this week of something. You know what? We need to go to our Jehovah Nisi, right? the Lord, our victory, right? Jehovah Nisi. Remember, we covered those names. And, and so that's the same idea as Jesus presents himself as the first and the last, the eternal God, the one who died and, and rose again, uh, who lives now. He's relating to them to come and no, take notice, focus on Jesus, and, and because in this way, it's just what they need to carry on. And you know what? It's so wonderful to think of Jesus, our eternal God, right? He's our eternal God. He died, but He rose again. He conquered sin and death. And with that, we know, with that victory, that we can face anything because of Jesus in our life. In the 1800s, John G. Patton was a missionary to Vanuatu, Vanuatu in the South Pacific. And, and, and for uh, some well-meaning church member tried to stop him at first when he was going out by saying, you will be eaten by cannibals. <laughs> this island was known for these, this, these tribes there that eat people. But John G. Patton, he replied and said this, it makes no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms, for my body will rise in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. I love that. So he focused on Jesus dying, rising again, that he too will be resurrected one day. And that's how we can be encouraged just as Jesus comes to the church in Smyrna in his description. So right away, Jesus brings strengthening words for suffering saints, saying, take care to notice who I am. Well, let's go to number two now. Take comfort. Take comfort. And this is verse 9. This is verse 9. Take comfort. 
I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and slant and, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And we'll stop there in this section. Now we begin with here in verse nine and with two words. And Jesus says, I know. And just stop and think about that. Maybe even underline that. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus knows. Jesus sees. Remember the, the, how Jesus was in the midst of the lampstands and lampstands represented the church? He's in the midst. He sees everything. He knows. That's what Jesus is saying. I know. So we can take comfort that Jesus knows. And I love that right now. Maybe it's a word for you this morning. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm going through this thing. Does, does God even? No, no. God knows. God knows. And here we can take comfort, actually, as he goes on in three things that Jesus knows. And this is what's going to unfold to us in this verse. Three things that Jesus knows. And number one is Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. First, he says in verse nine, I know your tribulation. This word tribulation in, in the original language actually means to like press down, to crush, to squeeze. Jesus is saying, look, I know the trouble you're in. I know the pressure you are under right now in this persecution. You see, the church was going through some extreme persecution for their faith, basically. Remember I was talking about there was an empire-wide persecution persecution happening to all the churches at this time. Uh, Rome and was really pressing down and going after Christians. The Caesar, the Caesar put out this whole law that everyone should worship him. And here in the city of Smyrna, that years before, there was actually, and it was famous for this temple that was set up to Caesar. And so right here in Smyrna was this temple where here this edict goes out that they were to, everyone in the empire and the city were to worship Caesar. Now, in this city, it was built about 70 years earlier, but now under Emperor uh, Domitian, all the citizens were required to, to actually come once a year to this temple and to take a pinch of incense on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord, and put it out. Isn't that crazy? And it's right here in Smyrna. So you can imagine that none of the Christians, they're not going to do that. They're, they're, they're not going to do that. That means to reject Jesus and bow to Caesar. And, and, and so they're not going to do that. So extreme persecution began and it continued on here. So you see Jesus is saying, look, I know. I know what you're going through. Take comfort. I see how you're suffering for my sake. That's what Jesus is saying to them. I know the tribulation, the persecution you're under. Are you under some persecution maybe today? Are you facing that? Maybe at work or a neighbor or someone you know because of your belief in Jesus, because of your stand in Jesus. You know what? God is saying, I know. He's not saying, oh, I didn't know that was going on, right? No, he knows. So take, take comfort that nothing gets past God. And he sees what you're doing. He sees your stand. He sees the suffering that you're going through because you are making that stand for Jesus in the middle of this dark world. And certainly, as been, I've been mentioning, things are getting darker in this world. And there is more talk against Christian principles, biblical values, more than ever before as this world gets darker. We're, we're becoming the ones that are, oh, you, you guys are the bad ones. You guys are so intolerant. You guys were called racist because of what we believe in and what the Bible is. We're not. We believe all peoples are created equal, right? But because of certain beliefs and moral values, those lines are getting all fuzzy. I'll tell you, persecution has come, is coming. And praise the Lord, we live in a country where we're, we're a little more free. Around the world, it's really, really bad in other countries. 
So we pray for the persecuted Christians. But you know what? God sees it. God knows. Nothing gets past Him. So we can take comfort that He sees all this. And He's watching over us. So Jesus knows what you're going through. Number two, the second thing that we can take comfort in is that Jesus knows what you've lost. Jesus knows what you've lost. Verse 9, once again, He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. I love that. So Jesus knows of the pro- poverty that they are in. They're, here's this, this, these Christians, they live in a wealthy city, but they have nothing. It's a healthy economy. Business is great. There's trade going on and stuff, but they have nothing because the, the, the believers in Smyrna, they lost their jobs because of persecution. People won't give them jobs. Their businesses went down. People won't go to their businesses and to their stores. And they probably even lost property, all because they stand for Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus reassures them. He says, look, I know what's going on. I know. And I love that because then if God knows our needs, what is He going to do? He's going to provide for our needs, right? So we can take comfort that He will hold to the promises in His Word. So He says, look, I know. I know your poverty. I know what you're going through. But then He reassures them. He says, but you are rich. I love that. I love that. Perhaps they're rich because of the provision God will give, right? Because um, God in Philippians 4, right, will provide for all our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. He goes, no worries. You're okay. I'll take care of you. But no matter what uh, material goods or money is taken from them, they will never lose their eternal riches. And that's what I believe the focus is in. in by enduring the suffering for Jesus, the church is actually storing up treasures in heaven. I was thinking about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, and this is the NLT. I like how it reads. It says, He thought it was better, talking about Moses, to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Did you know that? There's blessings when we're under persecution, when we're persecuted, that we're storing up rewards in heaven when we're persecuted, that God sees what you're doing as you make a stand for Christ and as you take those hits for Jesus. You're like, you're like standing in place of Him on this earth and taking those hits for Him. And God will not look away at that. He's, he's going to reward us for standing for Jesus here. So Jesus is saying, look, take comfort, for I see what you've lost for my sake. Take comfort in that. You know, when we go through suffering, when we go through persecution, you know what? We need to keep eternity in our eyes. You know what I was thinking? So many times if I suffer, like going through just a basic trial, right? I mean, just a basic trial. I get lost in that trial. My eyes are so focused on that and everything seems to fall apart and I forget about eternity that's around the corner. I forget about that this is only temporary here. And my life is about storing those treasures in heaven. It's about eternity. It's about, uh, uh, you know, becoming who I am to be ready for eternity. It's about, you know what, this trial and what God is teaching me, what God wants me to do, how He wants me to shine a light even through the hard times. It's about eternity and being light to others to bring them into eternity. All this will pass one day. But what matters will last forever. And those are those eternal things. That's what we got to focus on. Maybe you're going through this persecution. It's hard. Maybe it's, it's hard to take this. It's, it, it's like, whoa, I, I don't know if I want to go through this. Yeah? All kinds of feelings come up in you. You fight fear. You fight insecurities, maybe of yourself. Oh no, these people won't like me if I really make a stand for Jesus. You know, all these things, you you start to battle inside of you, but remember eternity. Remember who you are. Remember God who has saved you is going to bring you home to heaven one day. That's what matters. And your stand for Jesus is shining the light in who knows how 
One thing you do, one word you say, one bold step you make might bring someone to Jesus Christ and salvation. And they'll be in, they'll have an eternal future in heaven too, and they'll be in eternity too. So keep that in mind. Keep your eyes on eternity. Because Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, look, take comfort. I, I see what you've lost for my sake. But you're rich. You're rich. So Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows what you've lost. And number three, Jesus knows what you're up against. And then he says here in verse 9, he says, And I know, basically, the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, this is pretty heavy. Jesus knows the slander that the Jews are putting upon the Christians in this city. Now, in Smyrna, not only was this Roman Gentile city, you know, uh, uh, just Gentiles and Roman citizens, but there was Jews there. There's a large population of Jews that had settled there and lived there. So on top of the, the, the Gentiles, so to speak, the, the regular guys who were persecuting the Christians, so on the other side was the, the Jews were coming against them. And they were slandering them. They were putting, saying things about them falsely. Well, Jesus describes them and says, you know what, they say they're Jews, in other words, that they are the people of God, and, but they're not. They're not really following God. And they're actually a part of the synagogue of Satan. In other words, they claim to be God's people, but you know, when they get together, go to church, they're, they're actually in a, the part of the synagogue, the group of Satan. You see, the, their slander and manipulation of, against the believers only showed that their, their hatred, their, their spite. And that hatred and spite from them led to the, the suffering and death of Christians. That's what they wanted. And that's such an evil thing to do. These Jews, if you think about it, they were really serving Satan's purposes, not God's. They're being used to destroy the church, the church of God. Someone I read said, um, many of the wealthy and influential Jews had reported blasphemous false allegations to the Romans. That's what was going on. They were slandering them in that way. They would accuse them of certain things. In uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, John Fox um, uh, wrote of how a variety of fabricated tales would come out. Uh, he wrote, composed in order to injure the Christians. And what he wrote about was like when there was a famine, when there was like pestilence or earthquake, like disease would break out. You know what? They would blame the Christians for that. So then everyone would start turning on them. So Jesus is saying, look, take comfort for, for I see Satan has come against you a full attack. He's, he knows that. He knows what's going on. He sees the enemy coming. He's, again, it's not like, well, I didn't know the enemy's doing that. No. Jesus says, take comfort for I see what's going on here. I know. Listen, the enemy wants to destroy you and the church. You know, when we came to Jesus and gave our life to him, it's like we switched sides. So Satan got mad. What? Because you're not part of his group anymore. And so he turned on you when you came to Jesus. And since then, he's been doing everything he can to destroy you, to make you fall, to maybe even get you back in his camp. And also, the enemy hates the church. Because believers, as believers, we come together, we study the word, we worship God, we glorify him. Oh, and Satan hates that because Satan hates God. So he's going to not only come down on you, he's going to try and destroy you. He's going to try and destroy this church. And you know what? He's going to raise people up so they will attack us from all sides. I mean, th think about what's going on with Smyrna. Yeah? The people in the city, the, the government saying you've got to worship Caesar, right? Enacting a law to force Christians to denounce Jesus. 
And then on top of that, the Jews in the city who are supposed to be worshiping the same God, though they don't know Jesus, they're coming against the Christians also. It's like battling from all sides. You know what I think Satan does, and I kind of see this today in our world? He puts out this righteous attitude in people. And I'll tell you, the worst people are those who call themselves Christians. This righteous attitude, like, well, I know you're wrong, and he starts slandering. Uh, These guys start slandering and putting down believers, you and I. Things get political. That's brought in. And it, it's this vicious kind of attitude of this self-righteous attitude. And then Satan throws fuel on the, on the fire of fear. He mixes all that in. And then we see the body start attacking one another, blaming one another, slandering one another, putting each other down. Sadly, I feel like today the Christian community is attacking one another with that slander. You know, we can't make it about hating the quote-unquote Jews or instigators or, you know. You know, the thing is, I don't want to be a tool of the enemy. This is what's going on. I mean, these Jews were supposed to be people of God, but no, they were really part of the synagogue of Satan. And Satan was using them as a tool to attack and get after true believers and even get them killed. That's crazy to me. That's why Jesus is saying that's evil to, to spite others so much that you slander like that. No, Jesus is saying, look, focus on me here. Yeah? That's what he's really getting to in all of this. Jesus knows what's going on. So we focus on the Lord. Jesus knows so we can rest in Him. Jesus knows so we can trust Him. So Jesus here saying, take comfort. Look, I see what's coming against you. Rest in me. I know what's happening here. Don't get caught up in all of that. So take all this as your strengthening words for suffering saints. Take comfort. Let's go to number three now. Take courage. Take care. Take comfort. And now take courage. Take courage. And this is the last two verses here of our passage this morning and this letter. Verse 10, first of all. Do not fear for what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you have you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So here's Jesus. He's saying, take courage, you guys. Do not fear. Do not be afraid in these times. You know what he's basically saying? Even though more is coming, he's saying, look, do, do not fear. You're about to suffer You're, you, what you are about to suffer. So more stuff is coming down the pipe. But he says, don't, don't be afraid. You know what he's saying? Take courage because, you know, I'm in control. I know what's going on. I'm going to be taking care of you. I am still in control. I'm the first and the last, right? The eternal one. I'm the one who holds all authority of death and life. No worries here. Do not be afraid. Now, what's interesting here as we get into verse 10, and you could take note of this, that the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia are the only two churches that don't get a, 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 like a rebuke. That Jesus doesn't bring up this problem as we saw in the churches of Ephesus last week. Only these two churches does Jesus go on to like strengthen them, to encourage them. So here Jesus, when he comes into verse 10, there's nothing like, well, you guys are failing here, you guys aren't good, or you guys aren't doing this, or you left your first love. No, here he comes right away and encourages them, strengthens them, and says, take courage, take courage. Don't be afraid. Take courage. And first, the first thing, he says, take courage for this trial is a test to bring out the best. Look, he says, says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. So he's saying, don't be afraid. I'm in control. This trial is a test to bring out the best. The devil, he says, he's going to 
work things out through that slander, through the, through the vicious words and the false accusations that you're going to be thrown in prison. But no worries here. Do not fear because it's, your faith is to be tested during this time. So Jesus is saying that the, the idea is the suffering will be a time of testing to, you know what, bring out their faith in Jesus and prove it. That's the idea here. It's a test to bring out and show that faith and prove their faith inside of them. You know what's interesting? The word Smyrna, it means bitter. Interesting, yeah? And so they're going through a bitter time, a hard time. And certainly that's what persecution brings, a bitter suffering. But Smyrna is also related to the word myrrh. And remember, myrrh was this resiny spice. It came from a thorny tree. And when, it, when you crush it, it gives off this, this fragrant, this sweet perfume, basically. And that's what myrrh was. Um, Jesus' body, when he was put into the tomb, was anointed with myrrh, right? To cover the, the, the decaying smell of, of, of a body, right? We know um, he was anointed with this myrrh when the three, not the three kings, the kings, the wise kings came, right? The wise men came. The wise men came uh, at his birth in looking to his death. Well, that's what myrrh is. And Smyrna is, re, uh, uh, re, uh, myrrh is related to Smyrna. And so think about this. This is for the church of Smyrna. When crushed and suffering, it's going to give off the sweet smell of faithfulness. See, the fires of affliction will cause the testimony of Jesus to burn brighter. I want, I want you to put that in your mind. The fires of affliction will cause the testimony of Jesus to burn brighter. And, and that's what's happening here. The test, you'll be put in prison, but it's only to bring out your faith. Bring out your faithfulness to Jesus to prove who you are. So take courage, Jesus is saying, this trial is a test to bring out the best. Number two, Jesus says, really, this trial comes with a limit. He says, take courage, this trial comes with a limit. He goes on here in verse 10, he says, he's going to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. So this trial, this tribulation, will last for 10 days. Now, what does that mean? Uh, some believe, we don't know exactly, some believe there'll be 10 days of persecution, 10 days of heavy persecution that's going to go on like, like never before for them. Some believe, well, it's 10 years of persecution. Some believe it's 10 waves of persecution coming in and out. And some even say it's 10 Roman emperors that are going to be continually bringing persecution upon the church. And, and we're not sure exactly what that means. Um, but remember how there's three ways to look at these, these, these letters we, uh, you know, I mentioned to you. Uh, practically, or, uh, yeah, practically, historically, and personally. Practically, it goes to a specific church, like we're reading here, in a specific church of Smyrna uh, this letter went to. Historically, how each of the letters to the churches reflect or kind of show what the church was like through the ages. And so some believe Smyrna being this second letter, that the first letter was the early church, the first church, and they kind of fell away, got into their rituals and all. But this second church, Smyrna, was the first century to the fourth century church, where they went, were under extreme persecution. They languished under extreme persecution. So it could be that. Maybe that's a Roman emperor thing. Um, uh, personally, we're applying it today personally, but it could be, maybe it's talking about historically, maybe this, these 10 uh, emperors. I don't know. We don't know exactly. But whatever it may mean, Jesus is saying this. Trials don't go on forever. 10 days you're going to go through. Trials don't go on forever. Why? Jesus is the first and the last. Jesus is the one in control. Don't be afraid. This is going to happen. But I put limits on how long this is going to be. The, this trial comes with 
a limit. John Phillips said, Satan is never allowed to win in the end. And I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's not like, oh, is, is the dark force going to win over the good force? You know, kind of thing in movies. No, it's not some equal thing. No, God is way powerful. He's sovereignly in control. He has things designed. He has things planned and purpose and all that we go through in these trials. And you know, in the end, Satan's not going to win. He's never going to be allowed to win. There's a limit to his evil. And Jesus is saying this trial comes with a limit. So take courage for this trial is a test to bring out the best. Number two, this trial comes with a limit. And the third thing we see here finally is this trial ultimately brings glory. This trial ultimately brings glory. How encouraging is this, huh? In verse 10 now, in the last part, Jesus says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Hold on. Be faithful. Stand for me. Continue on. Endure all the suffering, all the pain, even unto death. Hold on and be faithful because Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you the crown of life. What's the crown of life? Well, it's really the eternal life, right? All the way into death. What's going to happen yet? Well, we'll be crowned. We'll be blessed. We'll be rewarded with going into eternal life in victory. Now, you have to understand when he says, I will give you the crown, the people here can certainly relate to this because Smyrna was also known for its athletic Games. They would have games, in the, like Olympic games, and the winner would receive a crown, that victory wreath. And so he's tying that in, what this uh, city is famous for. So Jesus encourages them with what is at the end, the finish line, eternal life. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. No matter what happens here, no matter if we even die for our faith, that's not the end. Actually, that brings us into the finish line where we will be crowned with eternal life and receive our rewards. So then Jesus says in verse 11, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We've come across this before, haven't we? We, we even came across this Wednesday night. Amazing. Uh, Jesus said it back in, in, in the book of Luke too. But here he says it just as he said, said it last week in the first letter. And he's going to be saying in the other letters, He who has an ear, he who is really listening, let him hear. Let him take in what God is saying. He's saying, look, if you have ears, then really listen here. There's a difference between having ears and having ears to hear. Do you have ears to hear today? Are you really listening? Are you really taking in what God is saying? And then he says, for those who do, you know what? For those who do, you're going to be conquerors. The one who conquers, the one who takes this in, is encouraged by these words, where their life is affected, like Abraham Lincoln's beard, is affected by these words. You know what? You're conquerors, and you will not be hurt by the second death. What's that? What's the second death? Well, the first death is separation from your body. When your body dies, your soul is separated from the physical body. The second death is eternal separation from God. That's the second death. We're going to be seeing that at the end of Revelation, where those who died a second death, their soul is banished to hell forever, where they're separated, eternally separated from God. That's the second death. So the believers in Smyrna may face the first death, may seem like defeat, but it's not. Ultimately, these uh, believers in Smyrna will be victorious and not face the second death. Remember when uh, Jesus was uh, talking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, came at night secretly so his other friends wouldn't, you know, his group wouldn't see him. But he really believed in Jesus or wanted to believe. He wanted to, he was interested in what was going on. So he went to Jesus and was talking with him. And remember in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus told him, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. And what is that? What does it mean, born again? Well, when you come to Jesus and you believe in him, you're forgiven of your sins, right? And then you're made righteous. You're, you're, you're made right, so you'll be able to go into heaven. And then you're given this new life, or we become new creations. We are born again. We're born again in this new life. We're made into this new person. So, in the light of Jesus bringing this up, that you won't be hurt, you won't go, you won't be uh, going, experiencing the second death. It's been said, it's better to be born twice and die once than to be born once and die twice. I love that. You get that? It's better to be born twice, right? Born physically and then born again spiritually then, and die once. We only die once, the first death, as we're, our soul separated from our physical body. Then to be born once, only the physical birth, and die twice, the first and second death. The physical death and the eternal separation from God in hell. Will you give your life to Jesus today? To be born again? Will you, who are connected online, listening to these words, will you hear Jesus calling out to you? He wants to forgive you. He wants to be with you. But sin has separated you and Jesus wants to forgive you. All you need to do is come to the cross. Believe in what He did. Believe in who He is as our Lord and our Savior. Accept Him into your heart. Pray and ask Jesus to forgive you and come into your heart. And you know what's going to happen? You can be born again and you will not be hurt or experience the second death. That you will have an eternal future with God, not separated from Him. Well, as we come to a close, we know in Jesus, suffering, pain, even the threat of death is not the end. And knowing that, knowing that, knowing we have a future with Jesus, we can get through. We can get through persecution. We can get through the times of pain and suffering and hardship, tribulation, knowing that, you guys. And that's what I hope this letter encourages you. And this one letter, and the words of this letter would would strengthen you, change your life, would make a difference in whatever you go through, what you may go through from this day forth. Go back to this letter. Read it. We have a future and eternal glory with Jesus. There is glory up ahead. Take courage. I'll close with this. About 50 years after Jesus actually dictated this letter, after the Church of Smyrna read this letter, the pastor of the Church of Smyrna was taken into custody. His name was Polycarp. He was the pastor for the Church of Smyrna. The officials were surprised when they took him into custody because he would not say Caesar's Lord. The officials were surprised to see such an old and frail man They tried to get Polycarp to offer a pinch of incense before the statue of Caesar and say, Caesar's Lord. They're saying, that's all you got to say and you will be released. The proconsul, the judge, once again uh, uh, said, that's all you need to do, just one pinch of of incense, and he wouldn't do it. The judge, once again, the proconsul, gave uh, him uh, Polycarp another, another chance by saying, have care for your old age. Look, I'll, I'll set you free right now. Yeah, you can live your life out in peace. You know, have care for your old age. You know what Polycarp replied? Eighty-six years have I served him, and he never did me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul then threatened to burn him alive on the stake. Polycarp said, You threaten me with fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in judgment to come in everlasting punishment. What you are waiting for, come, do what you will. Go ahead. This fire is nothing. By his request then, he was bound, put into the midst of the pile, not tied to the 
the, the stake. He wasn't bound and he was just put in the, the midst of the pile of wood. And Polycarp prayed and gave God praise. I give you thanks that you have counted me worthy of this day and this hour, that I should have a part in a number of your martyrs in the cup of Christ to the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and body. When he was Paul praying, they lit the fire, but a miracle happened. The fire formed an arc over Polycarp, not burning him, and many could smell a sweet fragrance like spices. Amazing. So because of that, the fire didn't touch and the order was given for the executioner to pierce him with the spear. The blood that streamed out of Polycarp extinguished the fire. But it was through that he died and he went to be with Jesus. But everyone was quiet when that happened. For all the people wondered at the difference of how an unbeliever died and how the believer died. There's a difference in how we handle persecution, how we handle tribulation, how we handle suffering, pain, even death. And hopefully, again, I tell you, I say to you, hopefully this letter from Jesus to the church of Smyrna, you'll see it as a letter to you today, and it'll change how you handle your suffering, your trial, your pain, your suffocation. So find encouragement here in these strengthening words for suffering saints. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come before you, Lord, we bow and we thank you that this letter is not only practically written and historically reflecting what happened to the churches, but it's personally written from you to us that we can read it today in 2021 and it's as alive, relevant, and pertinent for each of us today. Lord, we know persecution is coming down, Lord. As we continue on in this country, in this world, Lord, we know things are only getting worse and we see it already. We see already the values in your word are not upheld, but they are, are spoken against. And as we stand for your truth, Lord, we know that we will be attacked. We know that the enemy... Satan is behind all of this. We know that evil will come upon us as people will spite us and hate us so much that they don't want us to be around. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use these words to strengthen us, God, that no matter what we face or suffer, whatever persecution comes, Lord, whatever if we, we, we lose our living or lose our places, God, we know that you know and you see, and you will take care of us, Lord. And we know that we have, God, an eternal future. Eternity is before us, Lord. And soon we will be home with you, crossing the finish line in all glory, Lord, receiving rewards, our crowns, and then casting them before you. Oh, God, keep eternity in our eyes. Help us to not focus in on the wrong on the craziness, Lord, but to focus in on who you are for us in our lives. So, Lord, strengthen us today and help us, God, to stand for you and nothing else, no one else. In Jesus' name, amen.